Welcome to another edition of the Oscar Central Podcast. I'm your host, Jacob, and today we are going to be talking about the recent Gotham and New York Film Critics Circle Award winners, uh, Guillermo del Toro and his Oscar history, as well as his new film, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I have a wonderful panel here today of recent people and one new guest. Um, and I guess I'll start with the guest. Maggie, how are you doing? Good. How are you? I'm doing fine. Uh, Nicole, how are you? I am good. I am uh, about to go into finals hell for grad school, though. So, you know, fe- feeling a little on edge. Kenzie, how are you? I'm good. I am very tired, but, you know, we're like getting to um, the holidays and that means time off work. So that will be great. Adriano, how are you? I'm doing good. I also got a lot of final stuff to do this week. So, you know, that's that's always fun. Always a blast. Jillian, how are you? I'm doing good. Just powering through these last two weeks until vacation. And Lex, how are you? Um, I'm good. I started a new job tomorrow and I'm horrendously nervous. But you know what um, eases anxiety is Guillermo de Tormo. So... Um, well, since you're starting a new job, I'll let you start with the, uh, with the recent movies. What have you been seeing recently? Um, so after my great, um, like mini film festival I had on my, uh, the Lex sabbatical, Fest. the Lex, Lex, Fest, Lex Fest 2022, um, this week was actually my slowest week in terms of movies. I'm trying to remember what all I've seen. Um, I watched Darby and the Dead. Um, <laughs> With Nicole Lex the other day was an angel and watched Darby with the Dead with me because I was reviewing it for Ready Study Cut. Yeah. Um, we had a great time. I don't think it has any Oscar potential. No, <laughs> no Oscar potential. Um, it literally it ended. I was kind of it ended. And I was like, anyways, watch Do Revenge on Netflix. Yeah, <laughs> I love a good teeny bopper um, <laughs> dramedy, and that 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 was a pleasant watch. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think like what else I've watched since. Oh, oh, um, obviously I watched Pinocchio. Yeah. <laughs> Exciting. Yeah. Which and then version? I went and saw the Fablemans for five times in a row in theaters. Just kidding. <laughs> with it. Um, Jillian, what have you been seeing recently? Um, so much. I feel like I've been doing like rewatches of everything, which going off of Lex's point, I was considering a third watch of the Fablemans <laughs> <laughs> because it's just so good um i watched the senior documentary which was very emotional um i watched oh my gosh oh i saw empire of light again at the la premiere which it's interesting because in these rewatches i feel like there's movies i've liked better on the rewatch or worse on the rewatch and for empire of light i think watching it there it was a lot better um obviously I saw Puss in Boots again <laughs> the movie of the winter forget Avatar this is the movie um and then just catching up on things that I received screeners for but I can't like get around to watching them but a lot of rewatches. uh Adriana what about you 
I uh, watched a whole lot of rewatches as well. Um, I I actually, no joke, have seen the Fablemans three times now, <laughs> and it you know it keeps growing on me. I'm not gonna lie. Um, I rewatched Bones and all because I absolutely love it. I rewatched Guillermo del Pinocchio and because I absolutely love it. And I have now seen the menu six times. <laughs> I can't stop um, myself from going to that. You theater. need to change Ace. your Twitter handle to like say like sod menu X six. Well, I've seen X- I've seen more movies like much more times than that. Like I saw the Suicide Squad twelve times in theaters. I don't think six is baby numbers. Yeah. Um, Kenzie, what have you been seeing? Um, I actually didn't see that much this week. Just. Because I feel like there was like a lull in showtimes this week. I saw Babylon. Um, I'm not as like high on it as the people that are high on it, but I'm not as low on it as the people that are low on it. I the problem is the more I think about it, the more I dislike it. So I have tried to refrain from thinking about it, other than the ending. Um I saw All the Beauty and the Bloodshed finally, which I really loved. I don't think it's the best documentary of the year, but I think that's just because this year there's like so many outstanding documentaries. Um, and then I and finally see I was supposed to see The Eternal Daughter this morning, but um, they canceled my showtime. So I am trying to find a way to see it. Um but yeah, that's honestly, I think I watched more, but I didn't watch it um, in one sitting. And I don't really count that as watching anything, unfortunately. Um, Nicole, what about you? Uh, I watched, I think, exactly the same stuff that Lex did. We watched Darby and the Dead, which, you know, had a good cast. I will definitely give it that and an interesting premise. And then we watched Pinocchio, which was uh, super exciting. And it was nice at least to get to watch it with someone else even if not in a actual theater um and last but not least maggie what have you been seeing recently god i have watched like 13 movies in the last like week and a half i guess um trying to catch up on stuff that i missed screenings for uh because i had like this giant stack of screeners to get through um and obviously most of them are like awards candidates because you know things like Everything Everywhere All at Once, Banshees of Inishirin, Weird, Pinocchio, all the good stuff. Oh, Bones and All, fabulous movie. So good. Still thinking about it. Beautiful, wonderful film. (laughs) I love that everyone is like, oh, and I saw Bones and All. I fucking love it. I really love it. Look, my letterbox review of it is, am I going to be put on a watch list for loving both this movie and Fresh this year? (laughs) You and and me both, babe. Yeah, I'm ready like, for the double feature. <laughs> honestly, honestly, um, we'll be having meatballs and what else? Um, legs, arms. <laughs> oh, Bones. we'll invite our people. Like, oh yes, and you know, for the menu, we'll have a hamburger just to like pay homage to weird food-related movies this year. Uh, but go. yeah, yeah, I'm I'm trying to get through as many screeners as I can, um, obviously with so many different things, but I'm also like on a TV nominating committee. So I'm like very, very busy with that as well, trying to watch TV shows that were not on my rotation. So it's a very busy season. <laughs> yeah, um, I 
watched Violent Night in the Whale. Um, was supposed to see Emancipation, but I didn't get to that. And I see Babylon this week, so I'm excited to see what what side I fall under. Um, but to get into news of the week, the we had two award shows, the Gotham Awards and the New York Film Critics Circle Awards. Uh, both had their winners announced. Um, starting off at the Gothams, we, of course, had Michelle Williams, Adam Sandler, and Fire Island all get tribute awards. But Best Feature went to Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, outstanding Lead Performance went to Danielle Deadweiler for Till. And Outstanding Supporting Performance went to Kihai Kwan for Everything Everywhere All at Once. So I will start with, I guess I'll start with Adriano. Um, what did you think of the Gotham Awards and um, how do you think they affect the race? Well, in terms of how they affect the race, they don't really. I don't, I never really take these awards that seriously. I, I I just use them as like, oh, here's some movies that I don't know exist. Let's watch those. You know what I mean? But like, honestly, I gotta say, I love how much they spread the wealth this year. Like, not like one movie didn't dominate. You know, it could have easily just been an Atar or Everything Ever All One Fest, and you know, yeah, Everything Ever All One's the only movie that won more than one. It only won two. And, you know, so, and like, wh- like, I really love that Daniel Deadweiler won something too. Cause, like, you know, mm-hmm. Kate Blanchett, uh, Michelle Yeo, and Brendan Fraser, like, those three are likely going to win a lot. And Daniel Deadweiler, in all likelihood, this could be her last one. So I'm very happy she won something for an unbelievable performance until the Oscars. But I <laughs> love that she won in a category that included Brendan Fraser and any other front runner mm-hmm. like that is yeah. so impressive. I'm really sad she wasn't there to accept in person just because I would have loved to see a speech from her. But I think that's a huge indication maybe that this movie I think a lot of people thought the movie would be like one of those like oh the academy will go for it versus like critics won't. And it's really cool to see that critic, like, like a, not a critic, but like, it's like a blend. A critic E. Critic yeah. E. yeah. And it's like really cool that that kind of voting body still nominated her. Cause like traditionally this is like a Academy friendly performance. And you would think someone like Kate Blanchett or Brendan Fraser would come out on top here, but it's really exciting. And I love both the acting wins. Like both are great. And I just want to point out how much I loved the best feature speech of him running up being like, After Sun is my favorite movie of the mm-hmm. year. It was just really, I, that's why I love watching people who love movies like win awards and be recognized just because you see them shout out other movies so often. Um, yeah. And for everyone who's listening that doesn't know, the Gotham's do gender neutral um, awards. So the outstanding lead performance did have. You know, Colin Farrell for After Yang, Brendan Fraser for The Whale, Palma Skull for After Sun, Kate Blanchett for Tar, like all of those performances in it as well. Um, so I personally love that Danielle Deadweiler won this. Um, I think her performance is what really holds that movie up. Um, and then on the flip side, the supporting performance, uh, a lot of people, you know, tribute Gotham's to where um, Troy Kutzer started getting his start for his supporting actor win. Um, so seeing Kihai Kwan get up there and it's also, you know, a lot of these awards shows or whatever, it's all about the speeches and seeing Key get up there and give that very memorable speech um, was really great for me. Does anyone else have anything they want to say about the Gotham's 
Yeah, I think, you know, the Gothams are definitely a place that one of the things that they do is tell us sort of uh, up and coming directors that might not really be getting recognized in a lot of the bigger places because they're making their film debuts. So I always try to keep an eye on like what the nominations are for Breakthrough Director. And it's so nice to see Charlotte Wells win that. Obviously, I'm a huge fan of After Sun, but I also interviewed Charlotte at TIFF. And I think that, you know, she is someone who has such an interesting creative vision. And I really hope that this sort of helps translate into her, you know, getting a good deal for her next movie, whatever that ends up being, and getting some, you know, attention from studios and, and uh, you know, people who might want to work with her a little bit more after sort of this putting her name out there, which I always think is, you know, one thing that something like the Gothams can do. Yeah. And if you want to talk about someone who's going to sweep, I don't see many people beating her in first film or breakthrough director well, or anything and like today that. the biffas were mm -hmm. all the winners were announced and after sun had seven wins yes which You'll i can i can announce those if you guys don't know what one i haven't pulled up um after sun won best british independent film charlotte wells won director charlotte wells won screenplay um, Rosie McElwin for Blue Jean won lead performance. Carrie Hayes for Blue Jean won lead performance. And that's all the big ones. So yeah, so that was the the big kind of awards coming out of BIFA. So yeah, I mean, After Sun's doing really well and I'm hoping that it translates uh, later on, which, you know, like you were saying, uh about the new director it also on the uh, the flip side of it on the new york film critic circle won best first feature uh which went alongside best film for tar best director for ss rajamuli for triple r uh colin farrell won for both after yang and banshees of inishirin kate blanchett won for tar kiai kwan won for everything everywhere all at once and kiki palmer won for nope um I'll start with Lex this time. What do you think about the New York Film Critics Circle Awards? And yeah, go for it. Yeah, um, I was really excited about Kiki Palmer um, just because I really, really loved her performance. And nope, I didn't love that movie, but I her performance was like a bright spot for me. Um, I won't lie, like as we're starting to roll out with these awards of like the... I don't want to say lesser, but obviously not like the bigger heavy hitters like Golden Globes or the Oscars. Um, it has me looking at my Oscar predictions and just scratching my head. Um, there were a couple of categories that I was pretty set on of like how I felt. But now I'm thinking like, oh, should this person be more in the conversation than they are? Or is this person that I think is a shoe in not so much a shoe in? Um, so I think it'll be interesting to see like how as we get more of these um quote quote smaller award shows uh how that affects the rankings and predictions just kind of moving forward and I think it's I think it's shaping up to be a really interesting season yeah um does anyone have anything else regarding NYFCC um RRR winning director is such a cool choice and like Lex was saying it's so nice to see critics not pander to like predicting the oscars and just like make a cool choice is thrilling 
and I hope someone follows suit but tries to one-up them and gives RRR best film because that would be deserved. Also, if anyone is listening and has this ability, please put it back in IMAX. Like, I am begging you. Like, I don't want to see Top Gun Maverick. I want to see RRR IMAX. Um, Yeah, which it says something when uh, NYFCC has been right like 16 out of the last 22 years uh, when awarding a director who then got nominated for an Oscar. Um, So yeah, it's interesting to see where that's going to go. Marcel the Shell with Shoes On won animated feature, which is its second win of the kind of cycle so far. Um, EO won international film, which I think is really positive for its um, journey to the Oscars as what Poland's international contender. Um, And of course, Mark McDonough won screenplay for the Banshees of Inishirim, which I think is something that we're going to be seeing more and more. Um, Any final thoughts on the Gotham's or the NYFCC before we move on? Yeah, Kiyohi Kwan's about to win every single supporting actor trophy. Go, moving on. <laughs> um, so going from that, uh, we're going to get to Guillermo del Toro. Um, and I just want to start and go around the kind of panel and talk about his top three films. Uh, if you want to shout out kind of what Guillermo as a director means to you or anything like that. Um, I guess I'll start with Maggie. What are your top three Guillermo del Toro movies? Uh, so my top three are The Shape of Water, Hellboy, and Crimson Peak, in no oh. particular order, except Shape of Water's at the top, 100%. <laughs> um, I I know exactly who to go to after, so we can get Crimson Peak oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> out of the way. <laughs> Nicole, what are your top three? Out of the way? Um, Gosh, and I wasn't done yet, man. Yeah. Oh wait, what are you? <laughs> wait, you and you think Nicole's the only one with Crimson Peak on Hell her yeah. list? And you said you can talk about what Guillermo del Toro means to you, unless you're <laughs> yeah. Maggie. I know. I was like, <laughs> wow. Okay. You stay your movies I and get out. Crimson, I saw the Crimson Peak, or I heard it, and I was like, my brain shut off for a second. <laughs> um, Continue, so Maggie. It's fine. <laughs> um, I guess for me, like. It makes me really excited to see a director who is willing to explore the things that he's willing to explore on screen. And I still remember, uh, because like I love monster films and I especially love monster romance. Uh, And The Shape of Water was such a shocking win when it happened. I was like, wait, like there's a place in this film industry for like the kinds of movies that I could see myself making someday. Uh, So that made me really happy. And I just consistently think all of his films hit upon parts of storytelling that are often reserved for books and we don't often see on screen as much as I would like to see them. Uh, And it just makes me really, really happy. And yes, Crimson Peak also satisfies that same very strange niche, Um, just delicious horror and intrigue and his like choice in directing is just always next level. I think he truly is one of our best directors of this era. Absolutely. Um, so Nicole, I'll, now I'll talk go about and, Crimson Peak. Yeah, yeah. I, She's like so Jessica Chastain's number one. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um. No, truly, I think that Del Toro is such an interesting director because I don't love all of his movies that I've seen, 
but I always really respect them because he really commits to whatever he's doing and he is not afraid to take a wild swing, which I think especially whenever you have directors who have had some success, sometimes you see that sort of creativity start to dwindle as they sort of try to appeal more to a mainstream audience. And I feel like Del Toro has not done that at all. Like he feels like he is being authentically his creative self. Um, you know, even as he's had more success. And I will admit, I've got some Del Toro movies that I have not seen. Like my one of my big like uh blind spots is the fact that I've actually not seen Pan's Labyrinth. So just know if you're listening to my favorite movies and being like, what? I've not seen Pan's Labyrinth. Um, because I feel like I'll like that one. But obviously my number one is Crimson Peak. Crimson Peak is one of my four letterbox favorite movies. It is one of my favorite movies of all time because I think that of any film like ever made it is the best gothic horror film that is a genre that like Matthew was saying we often really only see in books um and we've seen you know some tv shows that do it and they're they used to make more movies in that genre but I really think that it is one of the only true gothic horror movies that's been made in in sort of the 21st century and obviously, I love his casting. And I think Del Toro makes so many interesting choices. Uh, I also actually have to say, I don't know if it would be my two or three, probably my two. I really do like Pinocchio. I think that the more it's sat with me, the more I think that like it's just a technical masterpiece. Um, I think the, you know, the way that he really has sort of push the boundaries of what we think of with stop animation. Um, and I also think that sort of refashioning that story, obviously I'm someone who like loves adaptation and I'm very interested in how we can adapt sort of classic stories into something that's maybe teasing something different out of them. Um, and I think that, you know, Del Toro's Pinocchio definitely does that and definitely is an upgrade on its original source material. And that's always something I admire. And then I'm kind of shocked to be saying this because I wasn't someone who was like super high on the film at the time, but actually over the past year, I think about this movie a lot and I'm going to actually say Nightmare Alley. Um, I, no! <laughs> I, I know Lindsay's so thrilled. Yeah. I have some issues with the movie, um, particularly in like the last third of it, but that first like third to half of it is definitely one of my favorite movies of last year. I am literally obsessed with the entire carnival sequence. Also, like, Willem Dafoe is in it. So um, that, like, immediately earns it points from me. But as Maggie will know, I love that sort of carnival in that time period, especially, like, atmosphere and that aesthetic. It's true. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I think that he really nails that. And I think that's part of, like, my issue with the movie when I first watched it was I was like, no, why did we leave that world so quickly? Like, take me back to that. I don't care about the rest of this. But I, I also think he gets, like, really great performances from his actors in that film. And I think that one thing that Del Toro, you can tell about him, like, A, from hearing him speak about things and hearing actors talk about him, but also just from watching it, is that he's able to get these very vulnerable, emotional performances in roles that I think often you wouldn't, necessarily even expect to see that in um and it's very clear that all the actors in his movies have a complete understanding of their characters 
no matter how small that character is. Like he definitely seems like someone who does character work with his entire cast, which I really admire. So yeah, I'm Del Toro is one of those um, directors that even if what he's doing doesn't always sound like my thing on the surface, I'm going to go and see it because I know that I'm at least going to admire it, even if I don't love it. Um, and I'll move on to Jillian. What are your top three Del Toro movies? Um, I will say Pan's Labyrinth because I love the guy with the hands on his with the eyes thing. Um, and that like always stuck with me with that movie. Um, and I just think it's such like the way that he handles monsters and like I feel like it's similar to what like Luca did in Bones and All. Um, it's just like there's always a humanity with his characters and like even though I think his movies people I don't like I wouldn't classify them as horror like maybe they're like scary but like he I don't think he's like purposely trying to be scary he's like always gives humanity to like any type of character that he has um and I really love that about that and like Pan's Labyrinth is just like such a fascinating world and I remember like watching that when I was young and like was really taken aback by the style and the type of filmmaking um, and then I would say probably Nightmare Alley, which like same with Nicole. I think this one took me a while to come around. Like when I, I remember hearing it being announced and I was really excited about it because they like the original and like the casting that is spectacular. Um, and I feel like this one is going to age really well. And I was really happy that it was um, nominated for best picture because I feel like it just came out of nowhere. But I think that holds the testament of like how much people like and appreciate um Guillermo del Toro's filmmaking style and like his ability to kind of revamp uh I don't know like not forgotten genres but like a neo-noir like type of thing um you don't really see that often and then my number one is like The Shape of Water because I feel like that's one of the most romantic films to come out in recent times and like just the fact that that one best picture again like uh, in a time where people are like oh they only go towards like biopics or like dramas and it's like this is literally like a fantasy film about a fish falling in love with a human and it's like so romantic and I love the score and just he just knows how to do production design and world building so well that you really again like care for all the characters and you're so immersed and engrossed with what you're watching and he's just such a good visual storyteller um, and like I don't know The Shape of Water it needs to be avenged because people have such a hatred of the shape of water but i feel like people need to give it a second chance and that's my top three uh lex what about you no not you so i'm not particularly a guillermo del toro um girly um i am like nicole i respect him um and he seems like a lovely person like i would love to have a chat with him um, it's just like he's hit or miss for me and I do really respect that he goes for like he like Nicole was saying he makes these choices and he goes for it but what I also like is that he's not doing it for shock value or he's not trying to be edgy like it's just he's creating his own little world and I think he kind of the movies that he makes like they aren't for everyone but there's like this air of like and it's okay if it's not for you about them like they're unpretentious despite the fact that they're so colossal and I respect all of that it's just his movies like on whole aren't particularly my cup of tea um but that said my top three I do love Pan's Labyrinth 
Um, and then number two is Nightmare Alley as well. Um, this wasn't even necessarily like my number one of the best picture nominations from last year, but I agree with Nicole. The last third of the movie kind of lost me. It was very, very long. Um, but on whole, I really did enjoy it. Um, and I really loved Kate Blanchett's performance in it. Um, and then number one is a movie that I actually don't like, um, but I'm still going to say it's my number one. Is, is what I think is about to happen about to happen? And it's oh Crimson my God. Peak. Here's the thing with Crimson Peak is I recently wow. rewatched it um, <laughs> during LexFest 2022. Oh my God. And um, I decided it's not the movie i just like it's tom hiddleston um oh, i knew it <laughs> so if you if you recasted tom hiddleston maybe i would have liked it um i have my own personal thoughts on who should have played tom hiddleston's character um i think i mean i think it is a, it, it is a gorgeous film um it is a gorgeous gorgeous film the the use of color and symbolism in that movie is stunning um it just tom hiddleston just gives me the ick and it's not fair to guillermo de toro for me to take that out on him so i this is me publicly apologizing all right thank you Um, i've never felt so vindicated in my whole life (laughs) um adriana what about you uh so not much that hasn't been said already i definitely really really love Guillermo del toro i just i don't not i'm not saying i love every single one of his films but the films i do love i like love love i remember when i saw uh pan's labyrinth i think that was the first movie i saw from him and i was like oh there's something like special about this guy because he has just such a like his love of movies just just shines just directly through all of his movies not just like visually but just like just how much he loves genre and like also humanity at the same time it's just something that i that speaks to me constantly and i love him for it um top three i would say three is shape of water like i i, I just i distinctly remember watching it at tiff and just kind of like constantly going to my because i was 16 at the time and going to my friends uh be like guys you should watch a movie about a woman who fucks fish and they're like what <laughs> no i'm like no trust me it's very beautiful and it really is like you know it has the genre stuff that like i love and also just this beautiful beautiful story about humanity at the center of it and um yeah and then number two is uh pan's labyrinth which i did previously mention but like i just it's such a bizarrely psychotic film (laughs) um like so uniquely like original and something that like I watched it a couple times and every time I watched it I just discovered something I didn't on the first time and and, uh that's what I, and I just love it to death and then number one I know it's recent but I genuinely believe this is his masterpiece I, I genuinely think Pinocchio is uh, Del Toro's masterpiece a movie that like just again j- just pu- made purely out of with out of love like there's love just is pouring out of that film uh the animation is beautiful the the like the updates like this movie this Pinocchio this story's been told like how many times and he found a way to like update it that's how did he do such a thing yeah no i'm going pinocchio for number one um kinsey what about you what's your top three um 
Well, I think my three is actually Kronos. I really think it's a really impressive. I think it's his first feature. I think it's so cool. And it just like really shows his like imagination has always been that vivid. Like he didn't have to like really bring it out of himself. Like he was always really comfortable with like writing exactly what he thinks. And I think it's so cool that he's always mastered that. Um, Number two is Nightmare Alley. I was always a fan of Nightmare Alley. And um, I think that it is one of the coolest movies to come out of COVID because they famously shot the second half and then COVID happened and they had to shut down and then they shot the first half. Um, And I think when you watch the first half of that movie, you cannot tell they're dealing with like insane COVID restrictions. Like, like, I know they all say they follow procedures now but like the way they were doing it back then it was so much more strict I mean Tom Cruise but like I um I just think it is so impressive it feels so lived in and I was really lucky I went to a Q&A he did right after Spider-Man came out and squashed it and um just listening to him talk about Nightmare Alley made me love it so much more and I also really love the black and white version I am not a big fan of movies that are, like, not shot in black and white and transferred to black and white. Like, I'm sorry, Parasite in black and white was, it was not good. But, because it wasn't meant to be. But Guillermo del Toro at our Q&A said he shot it to be made in black and white because they said no. But he still wanted to release it in black and white. So he shot it the way he would have shot it if it had been filmed in black and white. And that is so cool. And I don't think anyone else would have ever done something like that um and then my number one is pan's labyrinth i just think pan's labyrinth is so impressive and it holds up so well and like directors and writers who are able to convey such an identity in their film is so impressive to me and that movie screams guillermo del toro literally from head to toe and i love um the way he pulls performances out of actors and the way he collaborates so much with his set designers and everyone in production design and even makeup and like I just think he goes the extra mile with every tech within a film and you can get that sense watching all of his films but especially Pan's Labyrinth it is just like Nicole I feel like you would love it and it's like I literally am like stopping in my tracks thinking well you haven't seen it because I feel like you would love it I feel like everything you love about Crimson Peak and I know it's because you're like a gothic girly at your heart, but like, I feel like everything you love about it, you would love about Pan's Labyrinth. I definitely need to watch it. It's one of those movies that I keep like meaning to watch. And then, you know, I have like 40,000 screeners or whatever, and I have to watch Darby and the Dead and I don't end up seeing it. <laughs> I feel like you would really love it. I, I need to make it a priority. <laughs> and I do just want to say, I... I'm not as high on Shape of Water as everyone else, but if we're talking about movies that are love letters to cinema, that is one of them, and I respect it. I respect it for being a love letter to cinema that is not just, it could have just been Sally Hawkins and Richard Jenkins becoming besties watching movies or something, but that is not what that movie is, and I appreciate it. And I also think it's really beautiful uh, makeup work and production design work. And I think that people just like to hate on that movie and not give it credit. But 
It's also a cool Best Picture winner. Y'all are just bullies. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, I absolutely agree. Um, and it's actually my number three. Um, I I love The Shape of Water. I think Michael Shannon's villain character is probably one of my favorite villains ever. Um, my number two is Pan's Labyrinth. I just think it's it's absolutely beautiful and tragic and um and just so much heart and so much care like all of Guillermo del Toro's movies um and I think that that's like that's the one Guillermo del Toro movie that like I I don't mean this in a bad way but like I think Guillermo del Toro makes movies like he's five years old because he has such like an imagination of a kid and he like can think of like fairies and monsters and um all of these little things that like are always just circling around in his head and uh, they really come out in, um, in Pan's Labyrinth. And then um, I mentioned this after I saw it, Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, it was probably the best thing he has and will ever do, um, which isn't a knock on his last work. It's just absolutely incredible. Um, like Nicole was saying, using and making an adaptation that is you know, good for the source material, builds on it, uh, makes it its own thing and elevates it to, you know, make it something brand new is absolutely incredible. Um, which, speaking of Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, that is the movie we're talking about today. Um, which Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio was directed by Guillermo del Toro and Mark Gustafsson, um, and it tells the story of a wooden boy who comes to life after the death of a woodworker's son. Um, it stars Gregory Mann, David Bradley, um, Ewan McGregor, who's playing who, Kinsey? Okay, I'm still, like, so embarrassed. My initial tweet from January says, is Jiminy Cricket hot? And his name is technically not Jiminy Cricket. But that's besides the point. He is the hottest cricket you will ever see. I'm so sorry. Yeah. Um, Ron Perlman, John Totoro, Finn Wolfhard, uh, Tim Blake Nelson, and the best casting of all was Kate Blanchett playing a monkey with zero lines and only made noises. Um, but to get into the movie... I guess, initial thoughts. And I want to start with our guest, Maggie. What were your initial thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, um, the idea of making a Pinocchio and all of that? So my initial thoughts were, oh my God, this is so much better than that horrible, heinous, crime against humanity Pinocchio that came out earlier this year. Um, that was generally like one of the worst movies I'd ever watched in my life. This, just everything about it from production design to the music, to the voice cast, to the heart and soul that is imbued into this stop motion animation is just otherworldly. Every aspect of this was just like visually stunning. And then the setting of it, 1930s, Italy at war. Yes, this is like right up my alley. Uh, just everything about this came together so perfectly. And I 
have never liked Pinocchio. I don't like the golden age of animation Pinocchio. I don't like any of the various interpretations of Pinocchio. And yet this one instantly went into like my top 100 movies because it's just so good. And it like hit on every single note that I could possibly need. And I just, all my accolades and applause to him. Uh, yeah, no, I, I absolutely agree. I, I think it's so funny how this Pinocchio and the Zemeckis Pinocchio share similar themes of what they changed from the original. Uh, they just did it in an entirely opposite sort of way. Um, anyone else? Uh, I'll start with, I guess I'll go to Jillian. How, what do you think about Pinocchio? Yeah, so I actually did not know that this was happening until I like joined this group and everyone was talking about this movie because I'm not like a huge animation or stop motion person. So it wasn't really on my radar. Um, and I saw it at the Netflix theater, which is Kinsey's favorite spot. Um, and Guillermo del Toro came for this little Q&A after. And so I went into it, like, not knowing what to expect. Like, I didn't watch a trailer, like, nothing. Um, and I was completely blown away by the story and just, like, the details and the songs. Um, and, like, the thing and the setting, I definitely like that they did 1930s Italy because I think it, like, helps a lot with the, I don't know, the themes of the original story and, like, how you can take an adaption that has been done, like, 22 times and, like, make it interesting, make it new. Um, great voice casting. And then I feel like he definitely put his own spin on, like, the themes of the story because I believe in the original. It's mostly about, like, he changes himself for other people. And then this one, it's, like, everyone else changes themselves for him. But then, like, he also grows as a person. And I just thought it was really cute. And I watched it a second time with my family and like my family does not like movies and they thought this was like one of the best movies they've ever seen. And I would never have guessed that I would have liked this movie as much as I did. Um, Adriana, what about you? Uh, I mean, I already spoke about it. I thought this movie is Guillermo del Toro's masterpiece. Uh, he just, like, first of all, I, I think... Stop motion in general looks like the most tedious like form of animation imaginable. It sounds it sounds like a nightmare to do, but oh my god, it's stunning in this movie. Like it looks incredible. Um, and also and like I said before, this movie just like Guillermo del Toro always makes movies with love, and this movie is just so like it just so permeates while watching it. Just so much love is made with it. And those last ten minutes, um, I would say next to uh with uh, Amanda and Nadia at the uh, press screening and you can just in the last 10 minutes you can just hear the sniffles just slowly starting to rise of us trying not to cry next to each other and then at the end we just lost it we just wept yeah no uh, f fantastic movie incredible freaking 10 out of 10 nicole what about you i know you're probably the most recent person who's seen it you and lex yeah, I just finally got to watch it. And I will say, I'm very sad that I didn't get a chance to see it in a theater um, because it sounds like it was a really great theatrical discussion or theatrical discussion, got theatrical experience. And I do think that maybe a little something was lost in watching it at home. Um, I still really liked it, but I think I probably felt the runtime more than I would have in the theater. 
Um, not that it's like super long or anything. Um, but you know, I really enjoyed it. I think for me, I was really swept up in sort of the technical aspects of it and how impressive it is from a production design point of view. Uh, not even just like the actual character work, but all of the you know sets and everything and obviously I've seen some of the features about how they were having to do all the different scales for everything to be able to get you know all of the little shots that they wanted so I felt like I was very aware of the technical aspects of it whenever I was watching and I definitely want to go back and watch it again and sort of let myself sink into the story a bit more but I really do think it's a magnificent piece. And I think that, you know, as a work of adaptation, it's really splendid. The taking the story and setting it in like 1930s Italy and making it partially about like the rise of fascism and how that affects people, I think is really brilliant. Um, obviously, like Del Toro is so good at sort of putting this messaging into these movies that you never feel like you're getting beat over the head with anything, no matter what one of his movies you're watching. I will say the one aspect of the movie that I was a little let down by was the music. It's good and it's serviceable, but I definitely think it's not sort of like top tier animated film music. Like I was kind of hoping it might be, but it at least like sort of fits the aesthetic of everything. And I also think that there's some really nice voice performances in here, uh, particularly Ewan McGregor as Sexy Cricket. Um, <laughs> and I really liked how they... I felt like they gave him a little bit more of a purpose to be a framing device um, and to be the narrator for the story. So I appreciated that as well. But I, I do feel like this is sort of the new definitive version of Pinocchio. I definitely feel like I do not ever need to watch another version of Pinocchio ever again, including the like Disney animated version, which terrified me as a child. I don't know about y'all, but I found that animated Pinocchio to be like maybe the scariest thing ever uh, whenever I was a small kid. And I even for a while was like scared of the ride at uh, Disneyland. Um, but I think that this sort of has elevated Pinocchio to a level that I feel like a lot of us didn't know the story of Pinocchio could be on. So I really appreciate that about it. I do want to watch it a second time and see if I'm a little bit higher on it because I liked it, but didn't like absolutely love it. Uh, Lex, what about you? Yeah, um, I watched it with Nicole and <clears throat> excuse me, we both had very um, similar reactions to this movie. Um, I will say, admittedly, um, the end-all be-all of Pinocchio adaptations for me is the 2000 straight-to-video um, Disney uh, movie Geppetto starring Drew Carey. Um, and that <laughs> this movie did not dethrone that for me. Um, it may just be that I love Drew Carey. I don't know. But... Um, that's literally what I said to Nicole at the end. I was like, well, this was no Geppetto, but um, yeah. So, uh, but I do think that this is one of the most uh, stunning movies in terms of animation. I really got Jillian with that comment. <laughs> I'm sorry. It's so <laughs> funny because you bring it up in your um, Rob Zemeckis Pinocchio yeah. review. And I was yeah. like, what is this movie? And you brought it up again. It's so... I, it's not I'm like good... reading the plot and I'm like, what is happening? I cannot recommend it because you'll watch it and judge me. 
but I just think it's the best adaptation of Pinocchio. I love that movie. Anyway, it stars Usher and Julia Louis-Dreyfus and um, obviously Joe Carey. Yeah, Julia Louis-Dreyfus is um, the Blue Fairy and Brent Spiner is in it from Star Trek. I it is a fever dream of a straight literally die. I need to put this in right now. What the hell? Yeah, it's it's on YouTube. Um. Anyway, uh, we're not talking about uh, Drew Carey's Geppetto. We're talking about Guillermo. And we know. Pinocchio. <laughs> <laughs> and, um, but no, I do think that this is the uh, like the animation style is like some of the most beautiful animation that I've seen in a film recently. I mean, the fact that it's I am a sucker for stop motion animation. It's one of my favorite. Um, kind of mediums in terms of animation I think it's grossly underused um, I thought that made me really happy that we have two like kind of big um, names in the animated feature category utilizing that between this and Wendell and Wild and even Marcel the Shell um, but I think of all of the uh, stop motion animation films of late if maybe ever uh, this is the most impressive I mean it looks there's a scene that um like there's running water and it looks like real like it is just so impressive it's so seamless it's so smooth like it doesn't have that kind of like robotic movement that you sometimes get in stop motion animation um i think in terms of a pinocchio story the updates to this are really well done um it's much much darker which i think pinocchio is already a very dark film i mean the original one has children turning into donkeys and sold to salt mines which is pretty dark but the um updates the new one tried that and it got even darker it did when the zemeckis one so deeply disturbed with the new one it was very sorry to bother you it's so sadistic like yeah when they go to pleasure island i was like i'm very unwell yeah it's it's something but the um i think kind of utilizing the themes of grief and the undertones of that and the fact that pinocchio is created out of grief i thought was a very interesting concept um i thought it was very existential the way that he like quote quote dies and comes back multiple times um i mean i thought it was a beautiful story i think the voice cast is well stacked um always great to see finn wolfhard in a film so i was really excited about that um i think making the villain like a real historical figure um especially in the current political climate we're in is a very interesting choice and i think this movie handled it very well i was shook i was shook i mean (laughs) let's let's kind of like confirm i was like I don't know how I feel about this. Yeah, I mean, it, Mussolini jump scare. I wasn't ready for it. Um, Jacob um, left this off, but does anybody know who voices Mussolini? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Okay. I don't mean to just do this to everyone, but it's Tom Kenny who voices Spongebob. Shut up. Yep. <laughs> I need, like, approximately three years to process that. I... Do you know who dropped this information on us was christoph waltz in our q a he was i went with ricky um during afi and he's like talking about how he isn't the most evil person in the movie and he's like obviously it's mussolini who's and he goes you know voiced by your favorite um american spongebob and i was like what <laughs> like what Do you the, think the worst i was trying to scream spongebob just now but my Freaking Zoom was on mute. I was like, it's SpongeBob. Mussolini is SpongeBob. It is Do you think there are takes so where perfect. he did his lines of Mussolini as SpongeBob? 
Do you think I would SpongeBob, like to see them? Do you think SpongeBob is the same height as Ms. Looney's portrayed in this movie? Yes, one hundred percent, absolutely. <laughs> it's 100%. like every time I remember that Clancy Brown is Mr. Krabs, it and it sends takes me, me to space. It takes me so long to cope with that. Like every time I remember, <laughs> like. I can't picture him as Mr. Krabs and every time I think about it, I'm like, why? Like, how? <gasps> Does he just, like, turn it on? Like, I don't, I can't, I don't know. It's so I guess weird. it's just proof that there are some actors who are just amazing voice actors and none of those include Chris Pratt, but, you know. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> very true. Very, very true. We made, like, a list of actors who can, who get a pass for doing both because they treat it as different kinds of work and that's a good one not yep. chris pratt not chris pratt any, um, opportunity, chris pratt. any opportunity to say not chris pratt i will take no um but yeah i on whole really did enjoy it um i agree with nicole the score wasn't quite as good as i was expecting out of this film and i will say i i really did enjoy it i don't think respectfully and I just respectfully i don't think that this is guillermo de toro's like end all be all i mean i personally think that pan's labyrinth is always going to be his end all be all um especially because i think that's kind of what put him obviously it wasn't like his debut or anything like that but i think that's what really kind of put him on the map um in terms of award consideration and that's where he started to really pick up steam as a director. Um, I also just think Pan's Labyrinth is one of the most beautiful movies ever made. Um, and as someone who's not really a Del Toro um, person, it just, you know, I think that's going to be his opus. Um, but this is a very, I mean, it, it, it's, it was a very delightful watch, like despite the fact that it's dark and kind of sad. Um, I thought it was delightful and definitely my second favorite interpretation of Pinocchio. So, um, yeah, no, I enjoyed it. Uh, Kinsey, what were your initial thoughts? I just, it is so mean to go to me right after Lex brings up Geppetto again. I'm so sorry. It's probably just sentimental attachment. I loved that movie so much that I would rent it from Blockbuster every Saturday and my parents told me after like eight Saturdays that I couldn't rent it anymore because they were sick of paying for this movie. So my dad would return block our blockbuster movies on Monday mornings on his way to work. So I hid it in my backpack and took it to school so that he couldn't return it. And my dad shows up to my kindergarten class, looks me dead in the eye and says, where is it? And he goes to my backpack and gets it out. And I was never allowed to rent Geppetto again. But my grandparents pulled through and got it for me for Christmas that year. Thank you, Mima and Papa. Rest in peace. I truly think that's the best story that will ever be told on this podcast for as long as it lives. I... I was like, oh, did she get like a $700 late fee or something? <laughs> like, no. no, we returned it, but no. I mean, but that's so great. I, I really loved this movie, but I, I don't know. I think it's great. I just don't think it's like one of his best movies. But I do think, like, all Guillermo del Toro movies, if you see him talking about this movie, you instantly move it up. And I was really lucky and got to go to a Q&A with him. And 
Gregory Mann and Christoph Waltz and um his co-director Mark Gustafson. Gustafson. Mm-hmm. Um, and just them talking about all the work that went into this. And they list all of the um animators as actors. And I really love that. I think it is so cool and it's very true and it's just impressive that they went above and beyond to do that um my favorite part of this movie is actually the voice performances between um david bradley and gregory mann i think they convey such emotion and layers to their characters that i never thought twice about with pinocchio um i just think it's so beautiful this relationship that they built and um I don't remember who it was. They treated the gif of um, Pinocchio with flowers and the monkey. Oh, it was and... me. No, this is... and I didn't. It was okay, before, yeah. It was he before didn't the movie know yeah. he, what it was. And I was like, are you kidding? Because that <laughs> whole sequence ripped my soul out of my body. I just like was not expecting this movie to like make me cry so much. But I do think this is a really great portrait of what loss does to someone specifically like parents losing their children um but and i love Ewan mcgregor in this movie i like he i when he's like tumbling around in the tree it is so funny and then when he's on the beach giving his like wish it is just such great acting um but I feel like the further I get away from it, because I've only seen it the one time, the less I'm like high on it. But I also just think we just have so many great movies this year about loss and about parenthood that it's like there's just so many of them. And it's like you kind of cling to whichever one like works the best for you on those um, terms. But I do love the entire plot with fascism and um, Finn Wolfhard's character. um, And he was at the q and I went to and he was talking about how he didn't realize how emotional it was until he was recording in the booth and he said it was because they had put so much stuff in the booth to like kind of like transport him to the scenes he was reading and I think that was so cool and another thing I really loved was Gregory Mann I guess did not know what he was auditioning for he just like got a slip that it was an audition like an email his mom took him and then, like, on the callback, it's a Pinocchio. And he was like, I never auditioned for Pinocchio. And then when he went, and it was Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio, and he was like, what? And um, I just think that's so cool, especially, like, he hasn't really worked like this. And I just thought he was so great. And he had such an innocence that it was, like, contagious. And you could see, like, even the cricket, like, being like, you're annoying. And then he, like, came around to him. And same with Geppetto. And I feel like his performance really elevated that. And I do really love Tilda Swinton and Kate Blanchett, like, kind of, like, just joining to join a Guillermo del Toro movie and then doing so much, especially, obviously, Tilda Swinton. Um, but, yeah, I, I love this movie. And I do think it has a lot to say about mortality and fascism and all these things you wouldn't suspect from a Pinocchio movie I just keep getting lower on it so I'm excited for it to come to Netflix this week so I can rewatch it but like Nicole was saying I do think it's a really great theatrical experience because I really love the score and the music in the theater but I feel like I went to a screening room so it had like really great like sound system and I feel like that really helps with a movie like this especially like for me 
animation isn't always like my favorite I like just tend to like especially like animation that's like not kids movies particularly like I like um Isle of Dogs was something I slept on for so long just because I was like I don't know if I want to watch this and then I watched it and I was obsessed with it so I don't know what I'm doing to myself but I really love this and I really love I think it's still playing in a lot of theaters at least here and it's playing like non-stop at my second home that Jillian shot about the Bay Theater in Pacific Palisades um but it's a great theatrical experience and I'm kind of sad that a lot of people aren't going to get that opportunity because Netflix struggles with their theatrical um relationship but it is really great and I do love the cast and I think in a great world this would be considered for SAG Ensemble but I don't think we're there yet but it would be really cool in combination and we didn't even say um um, Ron Perlman is in this and he's really great I just love that he kind of like was like calling his friends and was like want to do Pinocchio and they were like hell yeah like it's so cool like the Guillermo del Toro family is large and we love them all yeah um I think for me uh it's like Kinsey said there are a lot of movies this year about um, about family and about parenthood. And then there's a lot of, apparently there's a lot of animated movies about mortality um, and what to do with, you know, what is perceived as your last, you know, life or moment. Um, and I think for me, just watching this and seeing kind of how he flipped the story from Pinocchio changing for everyone else, trying to become real um, to everyone else who is stuck under this fascist lens and this kind of obedient nature to become disobedient and learn to go against what is being said blindly. Um, and I think, you know, it's like we've, we talked, uh, Guillermo del Toro put so much into this and getting able to do the, you know, press day beforehand and hearing about how much he re did reshoots, which never usually happens with animated movies and he actively animated mistakes and made sure everything was as he said perfectly imperfect and they took over a thousand days to shoot and it's it's just it's the care that he put into this movie definitely comes out um in the movie itself and i just i remember come the end of it i was like oh this is a very good you know, this is a very good movie. I really loved it. But then, you know, like Adriana was saying, that last 10 minutes kind of like continued, at least for me, continued to where it went from this is a really good movie to this is a really great movie to, you know, that final line that uh, Cricket says before, you know, the pinecone falls. And that's what for me made it into the what I call a masterpiece. Um, but I just absolutely just loved everything about it from the score. Um, I actually really do love Chow Papa. I know that not all the songs worked for me, but that one did work really well. And it works really well for me on re-listen um, going back on it. But I guess we already talked about some of the positives. If we want to get into some spoilers, if anyone has anything they want to say about the actual actual movie 
we can try to get into that real quick. I just want to say it was fucking mean of them to fucking kill the monkey. It was so fucking mean and no. I will never fucking recover. Why did you do this? So, um, so I, need, I need answers. I, I we, need to get to the bottom of this. I feel personally attacked. At, uh, at, at our screening, um, at our screening, we were watching it. And when, when Geppetto died, me and my, you know, my roommate were like, oh, well, it was kind of like building to that for a lot of it. But then for us, it was when Cricket died and he was like, oh, I don't know what happened to him. So I just put him in a matchbox and kept him in my heart. We were like, he killed the fucking Cricket. We were pissed. Oh, no. Is yeah. he not yeah. like a magical being? Like, I don't understand. Okay, but explain to me this, how he's narrating about his own death. <laughs> Like, he's talking about like and then i died and then his life continued <laughs> on and then i didn't see any of pinocchio again and i'm like well of course you didn't you're dead wait that's yeah. such a good point he was I'm, talking to the black like, rabbit my mom was my mom I was to get them on the phone me. right now and Take my, care mom's like, my mom was like can you rewind that why is he talking about he didn't see pinocchio again he's dead of course how is he talking to us is he's it- not technically wrong <laughs> did he finished his memoirs. That's all I want to know. Did he get published? <laughs> like, can that's, I buy? That's what Pinocchio was going to do. He was going to publish it for him. The entire time I was like, who, who is in charge of publishing this book? How is it going to be distributed? How? What is the size of the book? How are we what is the size of the book? Because yeah. could anyone else read it? Because he's a cricket. Who is they... the core audience? I am and also like speaking about the cricket and the matchbox if I had a nickel for the number of times I've seen bugs and matchboxes and war films this year I'd have two nickels it's weird that it happened twice (laughs) we got two Pinocchios two of that like what else also the two Pinocchios that dealt with shit in a very very different way um Um. I just want to know, like, who decided 2022 was the year of poop in movies. I cannot explain how many <laughs> movies true. there are with poop in it. And I am tired Including of it. Including the other Pinocchio. No, yeah, that's what I was saying. Like, the other one ha- deals with it in an entirely different way. There's, like, another movie where there's a lot of poop. And um, Adriano knows what I'm talking about. And it's also a plot hole for me in said movie um but just enough i don't need to see poop i i don't need it oh, and you know, wait, just just wait till i'll see babylon that's what i'm talking about <laughs> well, <that> is- <laughs> i like just oh i'm tired of it i am so tired of it but this pinocchio gets a pass because it's like cute poop when he's dressed up doing his protest musical um like it's cute it's cute it's funny it's, I think it's doing what Zemeckis thought he was doing, maybe. I don't know. I didn't see it. I'm not going to lie to you. I did not no. see it. Oh, you didn't get the it? Other one, the other one, he's just walking through the town, and he's, like, walking I saw, like, a screen grab of mm-hmm. him looking at the poop, and I was There's like, why? There's layers to it. Why is <laughs> it so You just realistic? don't get it. <laughs> I can't do it. But, I yeah. I art. I, I, I do like the... Um, the way he kind of incorporates Nightmare Alley into this movie again with um, Pinocchio being treated the same way was really interesting for him because I guess like at our Q&A he said he's been working on this since like 2009 
I mean, I don't really know like the length of him actually like working on it, but maybe that's when like the idea started because that seems like a very long time. But um, it's cool to see like he kept a little part of that within this movie or maybe that inspired him to do Nightmare Alley like while he was doing all this research. But it's really cool, like the way he was able to do that and convey that same theme, especially since that's an Elvis, Adriana's favorite movie. Why? Why bring that into Pinocchio talk? I can literally bring up Elvis into any conversation. Yes, speaking of horse shit, (laughs) I like that they didn't do the Pleasure Island route with this one. Thank God, (laughs) I just never liked that. Like, I didn't like it on the ride. I didn't like it in any of the other iterations. Like, I understand the point of it. Um, so I was really because, like, when I went to watch it. Again, didn't know much about it. And I was like, okay, like after this happens, like that's, he's going to go there next. And instead he goes to a fascist camp with his bestie, Candlewick. And then it turns into a whole other thing. And well, I did feel like I, I can see why they wouldn't cut that out. But then I felt like it made the story go on too much where I was like, you're losing me, like, go reunite with your father, like, is he alive in the whale? Like, I was just thinking about that the entire time. Um, But I do like that change, because I think it would have just felt really weird if they kept that in. Um, I think this, like, brings a full circle. I thought the full circle was, like, going to be when he performs for Mussolini, but then they go a step farther, and then the other guy is still alive. and the entire time I was just like, where is your father? Like, go find him. Go to the go to the sea. Um, but I do like that change. I agree. And I think that especially if you're going to add this element of fascist Italy, which is a real thing. It's not like in previous incarnations with, you know, the kids turning into donkeys. Like, sure, it's maybe a weird um, metaphor for trafficking but very well done in Geppetto's um Andrew Carey's Geppetto Usher sings a little song about Pleasure Island um but it's and it's a bop too I still know every word anyway um but I think if you had this um with this very real element of using like a real dictator um you know who was you know I had a brain fart at the wrong moment, but real dictator, fascist Italy, big problem. But if you added, I think this element of you already have, he's in the circus, um, which also that was another thing that I think they did really well. The fact that he went there because he, like in other incarnations, Pinocchio goes and joins the like Stromboli show because he wants to be famous and he doesn't, he feels like a misfit. So this gives him some sense of purpose. The fact that he did it so that he could send Geppetto money and so that he wouldn't be a burner anymore. It broke my heart. Um, but I think that- And watching, he- watching him like get more and more tired over it was mm-hmm. like, that really highlighted it for me. Yeah, no, that was really sad. But I think if you had like, I think it does a good job of balancing kind of that aspect to it of what we already know from the original story with kind of taking out the parts that aren't needed because i do think that if you kept that level but then added this element of now he's got to go this fascist camp and go perform for mussolini like it it'd be way too much but i i think this was a much more interesting uh kind of take on that and i could have definitely like you know fascist italy is very scary but i i was also not 
um, upset to miss out on seeing children get turned into donkeys. Well, I think, and that's one of the reasons that I think this movie works so well is because I think that the fascist camp is, you know, it's almost the exact reverse on Pleasure Island, whereas like for everyone else in Italy, this is their Pleasure Island of bringing the kids in and turning them into soldiers and sending them off. And it's it's another, you know, it's another mode of where Pinocchio goes into this place and him with Candlewick and he kind of shows Candlewick that like, no, you don't have to be like this. Like, you know, you have your father here and, um, you know, he wants this for you, but you don't have to be this um, and you'll still, you know, get the same amount of um, whatever from it. But I, I did like that the fascist camp kind of kept the same themes of Pleasure Island while, you know, doing a reverse, which is almost what he did on the entire movie. Um, and also... To Nicole and Kenzie's point, I love that there were not fast feet in this movie. Uh, I will take a spinning tail over fast feet any day. Um, but yeah, I just thought it was a very great movie. Um, and quickly, if we want to go around and say any negatives that we have that we haven't already talked about before we get into the awards prospects, uh, does anyone have anything they want to say? We can skip this part. <laughs> No, I'll just say, like, I do think, like Jillian said, there is a moment where it gets a little, like, you feel like it's going to take too long. And it is, I think, in that spot in the boot camp where you're kind of like, oh, right, can we wrap it up then? Um, Because you feel like you've gone a little too long, I think, without seeing Geppetto and Pinocchio together. Because I think that one of the best things about the movie is the chemistry between the two of them and the way that they play that father-son dynamic. Uh, and then the other thing that I, I mentioned earlier, I'll just reiterate, is I think that I like the score fine. It's not like quite what I expected. I need to listen to it on its own. But it was the songs, like the original songs in it, that I was most let down by because I just expected a little bit more. I feel like animated movies tend to have some of like the best original songs in film. Um, because so many of them are treated like proper musicals whenever people are writing songs for them. And I feel like this, you know, didn't quite live up to my expectations for it. Not that the songs are like actively bad. They're just not super memorable. Yeah. Um, no, I agree. I The first song I remember was not that memorable for me. Um, and then other than Chow Papa, I don't really remember many of them um, altogether. Does anyone else have anything? Um, going off of the music, I don't know if it was just me, but I felt like there was a lot of Shape of Water influence. And to that's I felt the, the Shape of Water and the Fantastic Mr. Fox. And then like, I got really distracted on those parts which I don't think is against the film, but I think like just the music um, element of that, where I was like, what movie am I in? Where I think someone said in the group chat about like adapted scores. And I feel like this could potentially, this could fall into that idea of like, I mean, I mean, I think as filmmakers, they take what they learn. Like I'm sure he took a lot from like Nightmare Alley and Shape of Water into this. But I just thought it was like interesting that you could really hear that influence. And I don't know if it was on purpose um, into the score. 
Um, yeah, and one more thing I meant to mention, not that this is a negative, but I do have to say that at the end of the boot camp scene, when Candlewick's dad like pulls a gun on him and then explodes and everyone just starts dying, I was like, oh yeah, this is why it's not a kid's movie. Um, but moving on from that uh, into the awards prospects, unless anyone else has anything negative Moving into the awards prospects, um, Del Toro himself has been nominated five times with two wins. He was nominated initially for Pan's Labyrinth for original screenplay, um, was nominated for Shape of Water, original screenplay, Best Picture and Best Director, which he won those two, and then was again nominated last year for Nightmare Alley. Um, I'll start with I'll start with Lex on this one. What do you think Pinocchio has a realistic shot of making it into? Um, and where would you want to see it fall into? Realistically, I think it's a shoe-in for at least a nomination for animated feature, if not a win. Um, and I would have no qualms with this winning animated feature. Um, there have been a lot of really good animated movies come out this year and some that I feel very passionately about. Um, but the technical aspects of this movie alone are just so impressive that I do think that it objectively would deserve it. So I would have zero issue with it winning. I think it has a good chance of winning, but I mean, there's no way it's not at a minimum getting nomination. Um, I think Guillermo del Toro uh, has a very strong shot at getting a nomination. Um, <clears throat> and then in terms of everything after that, it's, a little hard for me because there's what I would personally think that it deserves versus what it could realistically get. I don't personally think, um, even though I did enjoy this movie, it necessarily warrants a best adapted screenplay, but I could see it getting one realistically. Especially um, this year, it's so weak. I feel like, yeah, I feel like, like there's like three that are like for sure in, mm -hmm. and then there's like four or five that are like maybes and then there's mm -hmm. like two that are like long shots I feel like this is a maybe like yeah I feel I like think... if they really go for it it'll get in yeah I, I feel think like yeah is... I think screenplay is a picture only thing I don't think like yeah like if it gets into picture it's in screenplay but like if it's not in picture I don't think it's in screenplay well I don't think it's like a guarantee if it's in picture but like I definitely think it you know it boosts, boosts. i just think that like adapted is so weak and it i is. think as more people see the whale that falls off completely because a lot of it is the screenplay itself that is like at fault mm -hmm. but like i think like lex is saying it's like this is a very admirable adaptation yeah i just don't know if like for me i think about that when i make my own list of adapted screenplays like how was it as an adaptation of its original source? But I don't think that's the way that people in the Academy think of it. Right. So I'm like, that's my other hookup. Or like, no, that's exactly how I feel. It's like, if we're talking adaptations of Pinocchio, then by all means, like the fact that this came out of a story that has been told 900 million times and that w there's kind of no, seemingly no way to add anything on to it is very impressive, but that's not to say that this is like a groundbreaking screenplay 
overall. Um, and so I think this one's definitely a maybe. I could see it getting in. I'm not going to say it's a shoe in The only ones that I think are shoe-ins are, um, for at least nominations, are animated feature and director. I think it's not an impossible thought that this could get in Best Picture. Um, but I also think that we have so many contenders for Best Picture and ones that are maybe a bit more worthy that I don't necessarily know if this would get in. Um, again, this is a kind of wild card for me in that category. Do I think this one maybe deserves a Best Picture nomination over Top Gun Maverick? Yes, which is not shade at Top Gun Maverick. I do like Top Gun Maverick, but... yes. It, it's just like this is overall a, a more quote unquote impressive film um and so but I don't know that it's a shoe in for that um I could see it oh I also think it's a shoe in for the visual effects um nomination as well um and production design I mean it's visually a stunning film del Toro is even though he's hit or miss with me I do think aesthetically um his films are just stunning and this is no different. Um, I actually just saw that they are releasing an entire or not releasing, but opening a um, entire exhibit at the museum of modern art over this film, um, which I just texted my parents and said, can we go on our trip? They were going to the end of the month. And they said, yes. Um, so I will go get to see it. Um, but I think like the fact that this is going in an art museum, I think speaks to just how like, artistic the film itself is so 100% um, could see it in production design um, and visual effects wouldn't necessarily be upset if it won for either of those um, but those are the only ones that I feel any particular which way the rest that I think it's in talks of um, like score or kind of like the less like top ear categories it, it's a wild card for me um, it's a I could see it getting in but also I don't necessarily feel particularly strong either which way. Um, Nicole, do you have anything to add or any other yeah. thoughts? I currently have it sitting as my like number 10 in Best Picture. I just moved Elvis up um, because of all that I've heard about what people sort of have been saying at Academy screenings and stuff. So that has sort of flipped around my thinking on how some things are going to go obviously we know that an animated film getting into best picture is very is a very very high hurdle to jump essentially uh it doesn't happen that often I think del Toro's name being attached to the project could help it but I still feel like I need to get a feel on how they're going to go with that um I'd like to see where it lands in sort of any of the precursors and then see what happens. I have it in adapted screenplay right now because, like Kansas said, it's a weak year, um, especially for sort of Academy Fair adapted screenplays. And I think if they're thinking at all about it as an adaptation, which maybe they will be because of the fact that we've had other Pinocchio films come out this year then I think it gets in. I think if they do that thing where they're just thinking, do I like this script? Then maybe it doesn't. Um, again, being animated hurts it in basically all categories other than animated feature, which I think it stands a pretty good chance at winning. I think it will probably get a best song nomination for Chow Papa. Um, I think 
that category is going to look kind of funny this year um with like lady gaga and uh rihanna maybe it's and literally then, like don't worry. almost <laughs> like all pop girl fans dreams and then yep. pinocchio and i'm and, waiting like, i'm waiting for the weekend rihanna lady gaga doja cat and then guillermo's just like the last person they pan to imagine like, imagine my most played song of the year comes in and swoops over Pinocchio and we have Charlie XCX joining the club. <laughs> it would just be an all-timer. Um, it is really funny though that like I feel like we'll end up with this and it'll be like the only song really integrated and in, I mean obviously into the movie. <laughs> we don't know about I I I cannot picture where this the weekend song is. Also in- Hold My yeah. Hand was played on the radio in the the bar scene listen i said this when i saw top gun maverick and i am a little monster i was on pop girl twitter before i was ever (laughs) on film twitter like i do not think it is a good song it is a star is born (laughs) reject and i kept waiting for it in the movie and i don't like the way it's used in the movie does the other song not count can I, can I just can I just say that that song is on my Spotify Wrapped? <laughs> I no, but my thing is, I'm pretty okay. sure. Yeah, I'm out. pretty. <laughs> Why it's isn't fine the... to listen to? It is yeah. just mm-hmm. not what I thought it was gonna be. And like one of my favorite Lady Gaga songs is um, oh, I can't think of the name. Sorry, um, that's so embarrassing. What is that song? <laughs> that <laughs> it's it's in my top ten. But what does it sound like? like... <laughs> does she say? Oh, wrong, the wrong. cure, the cure. Like oh, okay. because the cure was for a Star Is Born, and Bradley Cooper mm-hmm. axed it. And I think you cannot tell. Like I think if you don't know that, you don't realize that. But once you know that, you can like hear it. It was like an alley reject. Um, mm-hmm. but this sounds like they played it at Coachella and they were like never mind and then she was like let me make it a little 80s tinged and it (laughs) got in the Top Gun Maverick I kept waiting for planes to be taking off and it playing but it was him on a motorcycle like I don't understand I (laughs) she should not win she should not win if we if we're getting into it I would rather this I would rather tell Poppy win. Well, what about the One Republic song? Like, are they not pushing? I well, I think that's that. in the conversation with Doja Cat song where it's not uh, eligible. They like, wrote it just, for this. I think they're like determining if it's eligible or not. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They that are is, still pushing it. It was on the FYC page. Yeah. So they are so still trying to push it. That's the song but, everyone remembers from that movie. Not That's the one that charted can. better than Hold yeah. My Hand. during the volleyball scene. Yes, when they're playing uh, the, so the football of course, scene, everybody remembers yeah. it. <laughs> the the scene I've I've uh, watched the, the best cinematography for the, the New York film critics circle scene. Yeah, best uh, you know best costume best use of for that scene. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I think we should add that to our our awards. Best use, best of, use abs. of abs. Don't tempt me, Kenzie. <laughs> I like that. Tom, I don't know how we got onto this, but I really like that John Cruise was like, "I'll be sure this too." Like, I thank so him for tough. his service. <laughs> oh god, he's like, "I'm not short. I'll be three feet behind them, so I'll look the same size." It's just so funny. <laughs> oh my god. Okay. Um, how do I come back get the Scientology? targeted ads again i am so oh sorry God, to whoever i offended but i i think if they really go for pinocchio it'll get in a few places like it'll be 
Thick segue. <laughs> it was good. It was yeah, good. I really looked back in. <laughs> I I think like it'll get into production design. I think it yeah. if if they can really do it, it'll get into production design because he like Guillermo del Toro really always gets into production design with his films. I also think that this is the epitome of a film that if they make it onto the shortlist, then they it'll have a in. great chance of getting in because these presentations are gonna at the bake-offs are gonna be phenomenal <laughs> well like just and i guarantee that, um, he will be at every one yeah i really think that like just the behind the scenes featurette they put out a few weeks or months ago or whatever like really showed a lot and i can't imagine what they would put together for like the visual effects bake-off like that would be and he talked about it at our q and i'm not sure if he talked about it at yours julian about the water like that they could not figure out how to do it stop motion so he um they in, in interlaced it with digital filming and it's like it's just so impressive the lengths they went to to make it look the best it could and i think that is something that will appeal to anyone in their crafts like it's just like they did they weren't like oh we can't do that because it's not what we want to do like they were just like we will do anything for this film to look perfect. And I think so. Production design, I'm pretty sure they can get in. I just think it's like if they're if they're like in everyone's tent, it'll get in. If it's like some people are like against it because it's an animated film, I don't think it'll get in. I just think like we'll have to wait and see on that. I think original score i'm not really sure i just think score is really competitive this year there are so many scores and there are so many scores from like legendary people that could get in on name alone john williams and i just think he could be like at six for some people or like lower and i think that'll hurt it but i do think it's it's at least in people's tens it'll just depend on like I really do think if people go out of their way to continue to see it in theaters, because, like, it is playing at, like, the Netflix theater the most out of any Netflix movie right now. So I think, like, they are making it a priority. Um, But I do think it's in... It's definitely in for song. Like, I think it's in. I just don't think it'll win. I think it's, like, Gaga versus Rihanna until the very end. But I, I do think it's, like... I have another picture at eight. I just kind of think like we should pay attention to like the talk over the Christmas holiday of like, are, is this the screener that people pop on for their families? Like, I think that like, obviously a lot of people are like from the Academy or tweeting, but like, I think like if your parents really love this movie, that is a sign. Like if like, because I think people our age will always like are going to flock to it because it's Guillermo del Toro. But I think like, a lot of people's parents are like a little like biased towards animated features especially like we you don't see them get in the picture that often so it's like there is like a hurdle and I just think like if this is the screener that like people's parents really love I think like it has an easier shot in multiple categories than just animated feature and song but I do yeah. think like it depends on like how it's received and I think that like the timing of it coming to Netflix is really smart like it's not like the week of Christmas because like some people get like two weeks off and like have much longer to watch things and I just think like it just really depends but I also think it is like a little dark if you have like kids 
I don't think I'd be like against showing it to a kid and like my daughter's only like a year so this has nothing to do with her but like I think you could show it to like a three-year-old like Daniel Howitt from NVP was talking about like he would probably show it to his kids like I can't remember how old he said they were but he he was saying he didn't think it'd be too scary or anything and I don't think it's like they're they're like toddlers I think yeah I don't think it's like scary so I think like it has that for it but I do think parents probably need to hear that from somebody so I think like I will spread the word from Daniel Howitt like talking about it like listen to him but like I do think it's not like scary it's just like a it visually it's dark um yeah no I agree and going back to the adaptation thing I think I think it comes down to are they going to embrace how different this Pinocchio is or are they going to say this is the 18th one we've gotten in three years and we don't need to nominate another one but I do think there's is something that needs to be said about how Netflix is almost bypassing best animated feature and in all of the FYC articles and pieces it is straight to best picture and um and that's you know almost everywhere it goes I think on that giant billboard that Kinsey saw outside of uh wherever she was driving um said best picture as well and um and again I think there's something that needs to be said about the marketing of it and you know no offense to something like Bardo but I got Bardo this week as a critic and it came in you know a little package whereas Pinocchio, Glass Onion, White Noise have all come in like the big boxes and it just shows you where they're almost where their priority lies and the absolute best FYC stuff their boxes have been an absolute freaking joy well what would you send for Bardo like a box of sand like a box of some fish the uh the damn you beat me to it Jacob yeah, uh, I really a baby. You send Even, a baby. Just the umbilical. <laughs> I okay. I'm higher on Bardo than most people, but I just don't think you could make a box for Bardo. Like honestly, oh, it's you, like you're, you're well, objectively correct, but you know, yeah, it's I, funny the thing. Well, okay, I would I mean, send like, a box of sand. Obviously, to be fair, they figured out. That? They figured out not one, but two boxes for Power of the Dog last year. Yeah. So oh. I trust yeah. Power of the Dog, other than like, like I can think of like props for it. Like Bardo is like, like I feel like the, like anything Mateo themed would be offensive. Like, and I say that as someone who liked it, but like, if I think about that Mateo stuff, well, I, I really thought they could have at least made a book for it. Like a yeah. like, should have made like when a cinematography doubt, book. When in doubt, yeah. cinematography, a bottle of some sort of liquor or yep. non-alcoholic and a poster and a poster and some yeah. sort of food, something yeah. food related, Edible. like chocolate. Like they, there's they so many things that you can come through with. They could have even done some sort of like imported food, like from. Um, yeah, they imported Mexico. hot chocolate from because we got the imported hot chocolate from Italy. You know, yeah. they could have sent like a bag of fish. <laughs> Goldfish. Send me a bag of Swedish fish. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say you should. Could, they could have done some sort of fun, like gummy fish. That yeah, would be really cute. Like in a little bag with like. Exactly. Some yeah, there's so much. You see, Netflix, hire me. I can help you come up yeah. with boxes for all your movies. Yeah. Um, but that's very true. But yeah, I mean, I just think I think there's something that needs to be said, and I also, and a lot of people were, you know arguing back and forth and I think the only real uh 
spite it has against it would be turning red and puss in boots. Um, but I do think that like, Wait, I do you think said that Puss in Boots and Jillian Ruth. Like, let me get on the soapbox. Like, it was so funny. Honestly, they um, could have the same plot. It's like very yeah. They're not very that dissimilar, similar. believe it or not. I feel like Puss in Boots has the whole legacy revamp of the franchise. Trek 5 is coming. Like, Wait, what if Steven Tokyo Spielberg a- comes out and starts talking about Puss in Boots? Oh, he has to. He has to. He has Dream to. This is... There's no trains in it. He can come out and speak without being scared. Like it's a masterpiece. Is, we need it to win so that we can have Shark Five and that DreamWorks can get back on track. With okay, I'm very. Sorry I feel like you. Puss in Boots is is the gateway for better DreamWork movies. That is the gateway. Absolutely. That's literally the. That's definitely the why key. they've been letting people see it so early. I assume so. Like oh, word gets out. Okay, because I literally told my husband that we will go see Puss in Boots over Babylon. And that is the right decision. Yeah, I was in both. Good choice. Okay, cool. Because I don't know if I can watch Babylon again. But I, okay, so do I vote for Puss in Boots as best animated feature because I want Shrek 5? Well, 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 hold on now. (laughs) I'd still vote for Pinocchio, but hey, if you vote for Puss in Boots, no complaints out of me. Okay. We just want Shrek Five, like we just, yeah. I just want Shrek Five. Okay. Um, if, if, okay, not not to not to completely go on a tangent, but if there's no Shrek Five after that ending, I'm suing. Well, either either it has to win, or we have to get it to a billion dollars. So DreamWorks, okay, I will, wait, I will get yeah. it to get a million on mi- my own. Get the minion men behind Puss in Boots. <laughs> what? Don't oh, do that. If you just if you just had everyone dressing up as Shrek going in. Oh, you've heard of I Minion okay, Men. Now get ready I'll for Men in Boots. Men in Boots. Men in Boots. Okay, so who's starting this TikTok trend? Because I'm that's where it. we have to go <laughs> to make it happen. Jillian, 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 go. Jillian, go. Oh, Jillian, go. All right. I've yeah. been I've been doing the whole word of mouth campaign. I've been telling everyone I know. It just it has to happen. We need Trek Five. Okay, I don't remember who was the first person I saw, but then I saw Jillian reply to them and be like, yeah, it's a masterpiece. I was like, masterpiece? And then every day Jillian brings out Puss in Boots and now Maggie's like, Puss in Boots is it. Adriana's like, Puss in Boots is it. I'm like, this is not the December release I first saw even, coming. Even um, Soups. Soups gave it a, a thumbs up. <laughs> All right, I hate it. All right, I take it all back. I take it Thumbs all back. Down. Anyways, I hope it honestly. <laughs> funny enough, which like I'm looking at the poster right now, it feels like how everyone talked about Into the Spider Verse when Into the Spider Verse came out because it was like, oh, another Spider Man movie. Do we need this? And then it was like, yeah, like we do absolutely need this. Um, I don't know. I, I'm super excited to see it. I do think, like, my friend, his kid just turned six, and he's very excited for this movie. And my friend said that this is the first movie he's, like, pinpointed all year, like, as wanting to see before it came out. Whereas all the other movies they saw, it was just like, do you want to go see a movie? This is your option. And I do think, like, the advertising with like, the big eyes and stuff is really working for kids because they just think it's so cute and, like, mm-hmm. funny and it, like, grabs their attention. But I think, like, I don't know when Puss in Boots... Is this, like, the second one? Yeah. It took them them 11 years. Guillermo del Toro was supposed to do it. The first director is the Spider-Verse director. Yeah. Then they had a TV show that they were working on after the first movie. 
like they were working on this and they finally did it then they changed all the animation and then they said they put in that teaser for shrek without getting approval from the studio because they want shrek 5 so what you're saying is this is a grassroots movie like this we is gotta, a grassroots movement like this is <laughs> to get okay. dreamworks back into its prime we don't want we don't want whatever they're giving us we want we want shark we don't want a new logo we don't want a new logo we don't want boss baby we want is madagascar dreamworks yes yeah. we need Noah bomb back to get back in there something needs to happen imagine money post barbie or imagine this is his filmography white noise barbie and the madagascar four we need we need um white noise and barbie to flop so that he needs to go make money and make madagascar four that's the only way it can happen i'm, I'm sure white noise is going to flop <laughs> uh, when i saw it in theaters i mean it like jillian can confirm the netflix theater is like always empty but I saw White Noise and I was literally the only person to where the point where like the manager came in and like brought me stuff and like she was bored. Like she was like, there's nothing to do here. People like, people got up and left at the Middleburg Film Festival. I loved it. So I am like the biggest White Noise fan. I I would assume I have my sweatshirt on. I love White Noise. As I speak, I loved it so much. My mom hated it. Everybody at Middleburg apparently hated it too because nobody clapped. Noah came out. Everybody just kind of stared at him. Um, people got up while he was doing the Q&A. I stayed because I was like, <laughs> Noah Bombach's talking. Of course I want to listen. Um, yeah, it was it was really... So I'm confident that one's going to flop. Um, I don't want Barbie to flop, but I do want more Madagascar. So like something has to happen the second baby is coming they I need was to gonna say the they're gonna baby. have their second child greta's got, greta's got narnia We're, they're, they're solid yeah we don't no, want listen. narnia we want madagascar four where are <laughs> well, they I agree. Where, what are the animals doing we need the question no, why can't we have we the madagascar need? animals in narnia what we need is for <sighs> Greta to be so booked and busy that he's like sure fine i'll write madagascar four to have something to do there like, we go <laughs> Or give him flushed away too. Like give him something <laughs> works. We need the into the spider-versification of Madagascar. I'm obsessed. Give him flushed away's style. marriage story. Like it's right there. <laughs> Imagine Boss Baby 3. Yeah. Three? Yes. Written yeah. by Noah Bombback. No. Like they yeah. what if they what if they come in? And use Noah Baumbach as like their third installment savior. Like, I would be for all their franchises. Intrigued. Okay, I love this idea, but I need him to ensure that I can watch the third one without having seen the previous. Two. Well, like, okay, wait. What if he does? What if he does Puss in Boots three? I don't think it would be good. He doesn't have the cultural background. Yeah, no, not his thing. <laughs> that would be a flop. I'm sorry. Maybe a Puss in Boots takes place in New York. Like as opposed not... to Madagascar Four, which will be a becomes like a lawyer or some some <laughs> shit like that. I would like to see Noah Bombach do Trolls Three. The what first about Trolls Sammy movie? Fableman. There you go. You know what? <laughs> there we go. I want to see Fammy, Sammy Fableman do Trolls Three. Sammy Mammy Fableman. There's gonna Sammy be Fableman. The first Trolls movie is legitimately one of my favorite animated films. I love the first Trolls movie. Second one was not good. I Sammy Fableman, you're right, Jillian. He's the only one who. Okay, guys, I've got the title. Origins, train wrecks. The, the title is Trolls on Trains. Trolls on Trains. Trolls on Trains by Sammy. The Fableman. horror movie. Michelle Michelle Williams it, can come. It's just it's just a horror movie. Yep. 
Yeah, they all, because, you know, the trolls sing and dance. Like, they have scheduled times when they sing and dance. And at some point, they all go camping and they light a campfire and they do a little ballet. <laughs> no, Sammy Feldman um, will do uh, the Croods 3. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah, that's more Kroots, his style. Croods on trains yeah. doesn't have the same ring to it. Sorry. That's true. <laughs> yeah, trains didn't exist back then. <laughs> Wasn't the second one set in, like, modern day? I didn't watch the second one. <laughs> I don't know. Nick Cage is in it. I love how this is like the Pinocchio DreamWorks podcast. Oh, shit, we're recording. <laughs> That's okay. But this is how Puss in Boots can win animated feature. I'm just saying. What if Academy voters are like having that conversation? What if they're like, I want to see more better movies? They're like, listen, I want Madagascar 4, thus I will vote for Puss What if they're like, what if they're literally say. like, Okay, I will give. Um, I'll let Pinocchio win adapted screenplay over Noah Baumbach, so he feels bad, and then I won't let Pinocchio win animated feature, so that DreamWorks is like, we need to do something, and they're no, no, both no. like grueling from these losses, and they're like, let me get in touch with each other. That no. would be that would be perfect. Oh perfect. no, I got it right now. If I was running, uh, I guess Universal's uh campaign team, here's what I would do. I would go, hey guys, hey Academy, uh, if Puss in Boots Last Wish uh, loses, there's never going to be a Shrek 5. Boom, Oscar before the ceremony. The starts. fact that the I'm fact just... that Universal is pushing Puss in Boots over She Said and the Fablemans, I mean, <laughs> I'm just saying. This is like... how Sammy Fableman ends up directing Trolls on Trek. Wait, <laughs> this is That's how so Sammy Fableman becomes the Joker. Like, this is the plot of Joker 2. <laughs> I'm just saying, like, when the Academy... you said that. Sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say the academy has let a lot of new people in in the last couple of years. A lot of those are millennials. Uh, I'm just saying we want Shrek. I'm 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 saying like there is a very real possibility that they're going to vote for Puss in Boots because they have the same fondness that those of us among this panel have for that universe. I agree I... completely. And this is also how we get Antonio Banderas nominated at SAG because all the TikTokers will be Please. like, listen. Oh it's my literally God. pain and glory, but animated. Like look, I'm I'm on I'm a SAG member. I, I know what I'm voting for. I'm just saying. <laughs> I we are I hate doing to bring it. this back to Sammy Fableman, but I just this conversation reminded me. Jacob, when you said that Guillermo de Toro makes um movies like a five-year-old i was about to say well sammy fableman would beg to differ <laughs> guillermo del toro's got nothing on old, little sammy where is guillermo yeah. del toro's train movie i'd like to see it i'm sure Wait, guillermo actually... del toro as a five-year-old probably could make a beautiful train film um but yeah, i'd like to see it okay actually, but I can actually see... guillermo yeah. del toro doing thomas the tank engine adaptation yeah Let's do it. Dark and spooky and terrifying and like gothic right horror. To the Thomas the Tank Engine. I'm here for it. I would watch it like in the theater, like five or six times. Guillermo del Toro is gonna Max wish to step away from Puss in Boots in 2012 when it overtakes Pinocchio. <laughs> it's the revenge story. Oh my god! Isn't Guillermo del Toro doing a haunted mansion film? Is he? Why would uh, you bring this up? I like. No, I'm sorry. Not. I just would yeah. you bring this up? Okay. Because because Disney famously, sucks. famously, but. yes, Disney sucks. Famously, he was going to make it with Ryan. He Gosling. was, and then it was. There are beautiful pictures of them riding rides at Disneyland together. 
And then the movie never came out. Anyway. It was the Eddie Murphy one instead, which, listen, I I love that one. Many great films. I love the Eddie Murphy one. I love that so much too, Lex. (laughs) Just Master Gracie, yo, if I showed up in that mansion, he was like, you're my dead love. I'd be like, I can be. Okay, he he was on a mystery series based off a book series that my mom loves. So I grew up watching. Yes, Inspector Lindley. I I love watching that man. Yes. Okay, yes. wait. So he is producing a haunted mansion that stars Jamie Lee Curtis, Jared Leto, Winona Ryder, Owen Wilson, Danny and DeVito, Lakeith Stanfield, right? Tiffany Haddish, Lakeith Stanfield, Dan Levy, Rosario Dawson. He's writing it too. The amount of people you said that are like people I stand. That movie has the potential, and listen, when that comes out, and I love it, and I'm like, I have always been a really big fan of Guillermo del Toro. I will gaslight anybody who tries to contradict me. They're like, no, Lex, we literally have a podcast. I'm like, no. no He's always doesn't. been my favorite director. I've never, I don't know who Steven Spielberg is. Steven Spielberg, I don't know her. I don't know who Sammy Fableman is. I don't Fableman. know Steven Spielberg. I don't know Sammy. <laughs> Sammy oh Fableman God. is dead to me. <laughs> Okay, does anyone have any final thoughts on Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio? Sorry, oh, is that what this that podcast is about? so funny. Yeah. Um, I, I like it a lot. I just think that, like, it's one of those things, you know, how, like, there's always the same, like, literally, there's two Pinocchio movies this year. I just feel like it got, as I watched more. Oh, there were three. I... You can't, you can't forget Polly Shore. As I watched more and more movies about like parenthood and trauma and what does life mean and mortality, um, I would rank other movies higher above it. But I think that's just because of the distance I got between me and Pinocchio. So I'm very excited to rewatch it. But I do think it's one of the best movies of the year. And I have not seen Puss in Boots, but it is my favorite animated movie of the year. No, actually, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. I rewatched Marcel. Lightyear. I rewatched Marcel. I put Marcel up higher. But that just shows you how good these movies are. That like I just rewatch mm-hmm. them and then I re rank all my movies. So, but I love this movie, Child Poppy. Um, I guess we'll go around. Lex, where can people find you online? They can find me tweeting about my love of my two loves, Eddie Munson and Sammy Fableman, um, on Twitter for as long as it exists at at Alexis Willie, W-I-L-L-I underscore. Um, they can all, that's also my Instagram handle. I make chaotic TikToks at at Moonshoes Lexi. I don't remember my letterbox handle. Um, also, uh, Drew Carey's Geppetto is available on YouTube. I recommend you watch it. Thank you. No, I don't. Don't, rec- don't watch it. Okay, thank you uh nicole where can people find you online okay that was a journey uh you can find me on twitter instagram and letterbox at nicole ackman 16 you can find me on tiktok at nicole britney 16 and also i just want to give a little tiny preview because of what a beautiful episode this has been for sammy fableman shout outs and say that our year end awards are coming in january and uh, if I can get the team on board, I will be adding a category to them. That's film from 2022. You think Sammy Fableman could have directed uh, and the Fablemans is not eligible. Um, so get excited for that. Um, Jillian, where can people find you online? 
Um, you can find me on Twitter at Julianne Chili, where I am starting this grassroots campaign for sorry, for Puss in Boots and continuing the Tar campaign, even though they're ignoring me. Um, and then I'm on TikTok at Jillian. Oh no, I'm on TikTok at Offscreen with Jillian, and then I'm also on Letterbox, where I'm being more active at Jillian Chili. Um, Kenzie, where can people find you? Um, before we sign off, I just want to let everyone know that we're giving away one of those um beautiful Pinocchio posters by James Jean. Um, so when we post this podcast, just reply to the tweet with your favorite Pinocchio character, Guillermo Little Toro's Pinocchio character. Do not come at me with um Drew Carey. Um, <laughs> but, <laughs> and if you live in the u.s please and then we will pick a winner and send you this amazing poster it is so beautiful and you will be lucky to own it and frame it um but you can follow me at kenzununu on all social medias except letterbox because i currently do not use it sorry uh adriano where can people find you uh, you can find me on Twitter at Adri Caparuso and and also my YouTube channel, uh, which is just my name, Adriano Caparuso. It's a long name. Figure it out. Um, Maggie, thank you for coming on. Where can people find you? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Maggie of the Town. I use that same handle over on Tumblr as well as my Letterboxd. Uh, and yeah, you can find me writing mostly about Star Wars things uh, over at Collider.com, um, where I'm the lead news editor. Uh, you can find me online at tberry57. Uh, you can find the show online at Oscars underscore central. You can find us online at oscarscentral.com. Um, and we've got a lot of stuff coming out soon. Um, that I think you guys will be really excited to witness. And that was our talk on Guillermo del Toro. And until next time, that's the show.